Commencing countdown. Three, two, one. This is the Contracting Experience. Connecting government contracting professionals to the world around them through conversations with acquisition influencers, insights into evolving hot topics, and sharing lessons learned from the field. SCRIM stands for Supply Chain Risk Management. Supply Chain Risk is not just part of another government acronym. It is a critical risk that needs to be managed as part of our national security. In this episode, we sit down with Trixie Brewer, who is the Mission Readiness Supervisor in Air Force Materiel Command's Logistics Directorate. Trixie provides candid insight into the integral part we as acquisition professionals play in the important job of supply chain risk management. If you're thinking about skipping over this episode, don't. Also, take a look at the show notes if you hear an acronym used during the episode that you don't know. Welcome, Trixie, to the podcast. What is supply chain risk management, and why is it such an important topic? Well, I'm going to start out here a little bit with some of the definitions. There's multiple different definitions, and so break it down a little bit from Uh, supply chain. A lot of folks think supply chain is really only in the sustainment side of the house and that it's only for parts or items. But that's not really true. We have supply chain that goes across the board and it starts way up front, really acquisition and even many times, which we're finally getting um, other centers to realize, such as our research laboratory, that supply chain actually starts with them when they go after a new technology and they're working with companies to develop that because those companies then become the suppliers to that technology that may go into one of our weapon systems. And so that supply chain really starts way up front and works its way all the way through uh, till we actually, you know, um, dispose of a specific weapon system item, whatever we're looking at. And it's also not just for physical items. Uh, When we look at it, we're looking across the board at Services, services is a huge area. We, the Air Force, pay for a lot of services here. A lot of that is um, data security, things like that, which is a huge issue for us, as well as all the software and other things that we work in. So we just wanna make sure people understand we're not looking at only the sustainment piece of the supply chain, which a lot of folks do. We're looking at the entire supply chain and it's not just for physical items. We're making sure that we cover the entire gamut of what the Air Force supply chain actually looks like. Right. So once you kind of understand that, so then we kind of look at, you know, we, we want to make sure that um, we are um, looking at the risk associated with that. So when you look at risk, we're looking at any kind of threat, damage, change associated with that could disrupt the supply chain in any way, shape, or form. And that's a lot of different things that you can you can look at there, such as we look at um, impaired assets, we, we utilize or we lose our um, information capabilities from the cyber perspective where you're looking at our IP information protection type mm-hmm. things, where we lose that, inform- where we, we'll say we, we don't lose it, but someone else can actually steal it or right. take that information and have um, access to new technologies and new things we're doing business-wise. And of course that costs us a lot of money to Mm -hmm. develop that and get it. And then they're pretty basically getting it for free. So that's one area. We also have obviously what we talked about before, the flow of assets and parts and things like that. So a disruption to that. We can't get the things that we need or we can't get the things that we need 
to the place where we need to have it in a timely manner. All these things disrupt how we can um, perform our mission and how well we perform our mission and how well we can do that against our adversaries. We also have economic risk, um, an area that's a big concern to us as well as you start to look at. We have companies that are um, financially in trouble. Well, we need to understand that up front. So do we have um, multiple suppliers that can provide the same things if a company goes out? Um, I'll talk about a little bit later too that economic risk means that they are um, prime targets for a merger and acquisition and that's an area of big concern for us on who is buying up those companies here in the U.S. And it could be prime technologies, prime areas that really that are going putting things into our weapon systems that could really impact how well we can perform in, in multiple ways. Right. It's important because we need to understand the dependency we have on the industrial base. So mm -hmm. we can do a lot internally but when we're buying um, capabilities, we're usually buying those from outside, mm -hmm. outside the government. Mm -hmm. And so that industrial base is very important to how we can perform and do our business. And we need to have a, an industrial base that we can trust and understand how are they protecting the information that we're, we have out there as well as protecting and ensuring we're getting the assets, the software and um, services that we need and that w it's in a secure environment. So that industrial base is super important to us, and that's really why it's, impo it's important that we understand that risk associated with it. And working with our uh, industrial base partners to make sure they too understand what's right. going on um, out there. Um, in some cases they do, in some cases they don't, but it's really not, from our perspective, it's not normally a tier one supplier, such as the right. Lockheed's or Boeing's or Northrop or any of those, but it's you know several layers down is where we start to have a lot of issues maybe with who who owns the company who's mm -hmm. partnering in that company um, what kind of personnel do they have working inside that company what are their ties to other countries and when we're really looking at that and whether it's um, our partners or is it more adversarial type of countries that we might be right. dealing with so we, need, we really need to understand that and how are they protecting our information that we're working with them to make sure that it's not getting into the wrong hands, even though they may have folks inside their company who may have ties to some of these other, these adversarial countries. Right. So it's very important that we really understand that and then how can we at least be aware of it and how can we help combat that, um, making sure that the industries um, and the companies that we're working with understand that as well because they have to do a better job at working that. In fact, it's not even just the industry. We're really starting to see this as a big issue in the universities as well, especially when you start talking with AFRL, who works very closely with a lot of universities right. on new technology. And that's really where a lot of these countries have infiltrated. Uh, we have a lot of foreign nationals, of foreigners working in these universities, in these R&D areas. Right. And so they have an opportunity and they see a lot of things that are coming their way. So we, within the government, as well as even the private sector, there's been some issues going on with the universities not being able to protect the data. Right. And now people are like, I don't know, I don't want to be sending you money for R&D if you can't show us that you have the proper securities in place right. to protect the information. Because people don't want to see their stuff in another country coming out. It may not be exactly the same, but you start. we're really starting to see a huge area of concern in some of the other countries of them putting things out that look just like what we have 
whether the internal workings are exactly it that we don't know but starting to be a lot of big concern to us here in the Air Force and within the DOD. Right. So you talked about the industrial base and it sounds like they are almost our first line of defense, you know, whether it's the prime or the, or the sub-tier level contractors. But um, can you talk about how our adversaries are weaponizing commercial activities? When we say weaponizing commercial activities, the way we're looking at it, like I said before, they're actually targeting and buying up specific types of companies here in the U.S. and within our allied, within our allied nations as well. So they're targeting a lot of the, they're, they're targeting specific technology areas. So you'll see a lot in the medical community. You'll see a lot in um, electronics, programmable logic device type communities. Uh, also infrastructure, which is a huge area. So infrastructure type um, capabilities here in the U.S. So, you know, our electronic grids, uh, lots of things like that. So they're, they're pretty specific about what they're targeting, but they actually set up front companies here in the U.S. and they'll sit there. We have examples of them sitting there for two years waiting on something that they want to buy. Mm -hmm. And then when an opportunity comes around, they try, to, they, buy the, they try to buy those companies, get those up. So we call that weaponized mergers and acquisition is basically mm -hmm. what we're calling that. Mm -hmm. They're targeting and they're very specific about what they're targeting and they're buying up these companies who already have maybe capabilities into our weapon systems. Normally they do. They're already providing either parts or services or software, something along those lines that is going into our weapon systems. And obviously our concern there is, and once they have that in, they have a lot of information. Right. So we're giving them a lot of information and then they can start to manage and understand, you know, kind of what are we planning for? What are we training for? What are we doing? They can manipulate those items, especially in the electronics and programmable logic device types things to, you know, which we've seen it many times uh, information basically pinging right back to them off of our weapon systems. Mm -hmm. And they're getting fed a lot of information about our training missions and maybe some of that type of stuff so that, you know, they can be more prepared. Right. Uh, what we're really concerned about and starting to look at what types of, and trying to work through some of those issues are what kind of things could they actually do? Could they, could they change the mission of what we're trying to do right. remotely? based on some of the technologies that they're, they're buying up. So it's very important to us that, that that whole mergers and acquisition piece. Again, like we said, they're also using, like I said, the front companies. We're seeing a lot of the cyber. Obviously, we have a whole area of cyber within the Air Force. And mm -hmm. of course, DOD looking at that is there. Again, it's, it's information-based. They're trying to come in right. and, and get that information. That information just helps them to determine things they should be doing or ways they should, they should be taking, taking over things. The intellectual property theft, that's a big one for us as well. Basically, what that is doing is going in and it's targeting scientists and engineers here in the U.S. and, again, um, allied countries as well. And they... Um, it used to be um, positive to be part of these talent programs, and you'd have, they'd have them on their resumes, and you start to look, and they'd come in through the universities. They would target specific companies again, and they would try to develop these partnerships. And years ago, and they've been doing this since the 80s, mm -hmm. and it was positive to be part of that. Right. But over time, what that means, normally when you join these talent programs, it is a way you're really kind of signing up that you're doing work for a U.S. company here, but you're going to be able, you're going to share that information. So now that's an area of big concern and um, looking at it. And it's been, um, I 
just went to a big briefing in AFRL as they, they were coming in to brief them on this is not a positive thing anymore. Our Air Force, our research laboratories, our folks inside are not allowed to be part of these. And of course, they need to now be, as they're working partnerships and collaborations with other companies, they need to understand the folks they're working with in those companies. Are they anywhere affiliated with these, right. these types of talent pools? So again, just another area that for years was acceptable, not acceptable anymore and trying to, to, to get away from that. And like I said, they really are trying to, through the universities, trying to get into that R&D up front. And again, it's not, it's not classified or security at that point. So there's really not breaking any laws by right. having that information and taking it. But as we progress and maybe start to put those in, they've got that base information as a starting point. Right. And they could be taking that information too and uh, moving it along maybe at the same pace and sometimes maybe even faster than we are. Right. So a lot of concern for us in that particular area. Other areas, uh, buying and controlling um, a lot of the ports, the um, stuff goes through. Mm -hmm. So that's a big concern to us as well, as we say weaponizing the industrial base, because they could, if they wanted to, they can just hold things up. We've seen examples of, you know, they can open things up and pull things out and look at it and mm -hmm. re-engineer it, hold it up. They can do all kinds of things because it's sitting in their ports. Right. So that's a big concern for us, as especially in a time of um, a fast-paced mission. Right. They could easily disrupt how well we would, could perform just by holding things in, at those ports and right. not letting them go through. And then, of course, now they're working not just for the ports, but they're working uh, with um, other companies on warehousing, things like that. So as things go through different warehouses and stuff's moving around the world, they can have access to, to those things that are work going through those particular areas as well. So just a big area of concern for us that we, you know, again, trying to get a handle on that, understanding it, and how can we, once you understand it, you can at least put some mitigation strategies in place of how we would handle that. So talking about strategies, um, Air Force Material Command is rolling out a supply chain risk management strategy. Um, can you tell listeners what the supply chain risk management team's goals are and how they intend to execute the strategy? I can. We have a great team. Um, we've put together a great team here at AFMC, and of course it was um, our CV upstairs, uh, AFMC CV at the time, um, wanted to have someone to pull this together for the command. There's lots of goodness going on across this command, just wasn't fully integrated, uh, so he tasked A4, AFMC A4, the logistics area to help pull this together. Seems like it's a logistics area, but when you really start to look at it, it's very, a lot bigger. So uh, pulling this together, we have a great team uh, with our engineering, all kinds of things. Uh, but our vision is to be able to protect our assets, support continuity operations, and provide economic efficiency across the supply chain for this command. And we are leading the way for the Air Force as well and a big player in the DOD world, but we have a lot going on in that particular area. We want to make sure that we field credible, secure platforms and capabilities to our warfighter. They deserve that. It's not, you know, they, their job is to fly, fight, and, and win. Right. Our job is to ensure that they get the capabilities that they need, and part of that is to ensure that it's secure and safe for them. Right. So not that they don't have a role in this, but they really look at... Um, at least a AFMC is a pretty large player here because we're probably the largest command that actually does R&D, acquisition, and sustainment of the majority of the weapon systems in the Air Force. There's, of course, you've got Space Command that does that for 
um, other areas as well, but we clearly are the largest and we are integrating with Space Command as well, even at our level. And of course, I'll talk a little bit about what we're doing at the Air Force level as well. How we intend to execute, we've actually developed, and again, when I say we, I am talking the, the bigger team, we have developed a, a roadmap using the .mlpf framework, which is, you know, understanding your doctrine, your organization, your training, are there any material type capabilities that need to be there, your process, and of course, your infrastructure, facilities type thing. So you lay that all out to look at that. What do we need across that whole spectrum to implement a supply chain risk management capability across this command? And we've laid that roadmap out so that you can understand what initial operating capability is and then full operational capability is. And that is, again, from, from the whole team's perspective. Um, we have then developed, gone through and developed a implementation plan off of that, which is much more detail how we go through to all the, every step that needs to be done to accomplish that, to get to IOC. And we have a detailed integrated master schedule of all the things that we are working to get there and how we're integrating a lot of the things that are going on across this command. We are working this, again, like I said, from top down and bottom up both. We have a lot going on in all areas and we're trying to bring it all together to make sure that we can, we, we can accomplish that. We pretty much touch every area. Like I said, we got all six of our centers involved and all six centers have some capabilities in place already. They're looking at different things and that's where we're helping to pull that together to make sure that let's not do something in one place and then duplicate it in another. Let's bring it all together. Let's utilize the resources, the limited resources that we have. Let's standardize to the best of our ability to make sure and for sure um, information is being shared uh, appropriately up the chain, down the chain, and across the chain here in the command. So we'll, we're looking at tools. We're looking at all kinds of capabilities there. And there's goodness across all the different areas, like I said. So our six centers are working stuff, plus the functional areas. You get into the engineering area. Um, they got uh, your trusted supply network, so they've got stuff that they're working. You got the cyber piece going on there as well. So again, lots of goodness going on. They're just looking at different pieces right. of the supply chain and going pretty deep in those areas. So there's lots of things that they already have in place that we can take and utilize and then maybe take that across the broader supply chain. Each of our centers are doing great work across that as well. We've got our, obviously, um, PK is involved because we're trying to, as we set up a standard contract to help us accomplish this work, we have a contractor that's helping us to perform that work today. Mm -hmm. But our goal is to have more organic capability. So as we do that transition across that implementation plan, not that we may ever totally be 100% organic. Again, the decision's not been made on that because right. there's goodness to having a contract involved as well, especially when you look at mergers and acquisitions. Mm -hmm. The companies we've been working with really have a lot of expertise in that area, which helps us to understand what those mergers and acquisitions are that are going on there. Right. It keeps us involved. We got FM looking at it from a financial perspective, making sure that we have all that. And of course, A1 uh, legal is a huge one here to make sure we're not crossing any legal boundaries as we're looking at our risk in the supply chain and what are we, what information do we are we getting on some of the suppliers? So we have to make sure that they are very much engaged in the things that we're doing. And of course, you got our IP and the security organizations. Uh, we work closely with OSI to make sure that um, we can we can leverage off one another. But again, we are not OSI. We do not do right. investigations nor their job. But if we have information that can help them with an investigation, we certainly will share that information with them. Make sure we have those open lines of communication. Everybody has a role. When we start to look, it's amazing uh, the more and more 
areas that we see maybe that we didn't bring in up front and we keep finding more areas that we need to be bringing in to make sure that it, it's a command wide when I, you know, it, A4 is designated, you know, it's got the rose pinned on it to be the lead for this command. This is clearly not an A4 initiative. Mm -hmm. And our commander pretty much demands that it not be an A4 initiative when they're hearing all the things and they want to make sure that we're doing that proper integration and all folks are coming to the table to play. Right. And this, is, um, this has been great knitting it all together, making sure we're integrating. It's been quite challenging from the standpoint of we're actually executing, so we're performing risk assessments, we're doing a lot of work, why we're laying out how we're gonna move forward with this. So with the small uh, team that we have, we're really trying to you know, do as you build. So you know, right. I think the analogy in here is you, you've seen, and I'm sure most of you have seen where you're fixing the airplane while you're flying, there's a video yeah. on it. I hear we're talking about you're trying to fix a flat tire while the car is moving. So there's all kinds of things, but we are we're moving at a pretty fast pace and trying to keep a lot moving, doing it because you can't really the, the big thing that's made a difference here is that we actually have real data. We're sharing information while we're doing these assessments and making sure that it's integrated across and in a lot of information sharing, which I think has really, really been a key for us. It is a very complex issue because it can start from the very beginning in the R&D yes. area and move all the way through when you have that, when you get the capability produced and then also when you're trying to sustain it. And then just the fact that it can permeate through the different sub-tier levels of, of contractors. Um, but with that, you also have a lot of people that have a stake in the game, right? Yes. So, so like you said, trying to information share and even, you know, kind of the goal of this, I think, conversation today is just to give people the situational awareness of what's going on so yes. they can start you know, having an open eye, and if something looks not right or off, then they can try to figure out, okay, is there, do we need to look into this and yes. that kind of stuff, so. And I've, I've been here 32 years, and in my 32 years, I've worked a lot of very large projects. I will say this is one of the very few where all parties have come to the table and want to play and see the importance of why they need to play and not want to stay in their little stovepipe area. So to me, I've seen nothing but positive here. We have a great integrated team. All players coming to the table, all players seeing the importance and, un and, and liking that they now get to see bi the bigger picture right. and not just the piece that they're in. And their piece is being shared amongst others and people can see the importance of what they're doing as well. Right. So that's been a very, very positive for this command. So what types of activities have been uncovered in Air Force Material Command's assessment of its supply chain risks? and what actions have been taken to address similar risks in the future? So some of the things as we've been doing these assessments, we've found all kinds of different things and we've done assessments on some specific weapon systems. Uh, we're getting ready, um, we're working with AFRL, they've come to the table with three different projects as well that they would like us mm -hmm. to look at um, and they're prioritizing those, which one they would like for us to do first. But what we have found so far, going through and illuminating um, all the different suppliers in the different networks for the weapon systems, and we can look at, rather we're looking at a technology area, commodity area, um, specific, a critical list of items, rather we're looking, uh, one of the assessments we just finished was looking at two major modifications for one of our premier weapon systems, mm -hmm. which was great because they had not approved the designs for those yet. And so we right. got to come to the table and help them perform this assessment and look at some major risk there. That allowed us to identify some DMMS issues, some issues maybe with some, um, some of the um, suppliers within that network, um, mm -hmm. providing data security and some things like that. that Clearly, 
was not where we wanted to go in the right. Air Force. So it allows the, the program offices in those cases to deal, and they get information right away. This is right. not a, you know, a study that you, you, you put it on contract and you know, three or four months later you get information. Right. Every week there's information, um, we're meeting, information is being fed back and forth and allows the program office to have information to actually go back to the table and negotiate with the OEM. Obviously, we don't tell them they can't use a specific supplier because right. that's not what we do here in the Air Force with mm -hmm. the open competition. But you can bring up any issues and concerns that we may have that we found out, and it's good for us to come to the table with information. Right. Rather they knew or did not know, uh, to date, I'm going to say we've had nothing but positive right. with the OEMs that we've been dealing with. When they see that there's an issue or concern that we have brought to the table uh, through our program offices, they have moved out to make um, proper adjustments without right. us having to really say, you have to go do that, because they see that there may be issues and concerns from their perspective right. as well. Well, and just speaking from like a contracting slash acquisition perspective, work, working out in the field, I would rather know up front, yes. you know, from like your organization and get your help and, and know like, okay, what questions should I be asking or what topics do we need to be discussing with the OEM to, to share that rather than finding out after we've already got these people on contract and, right. then, and then you're trying to deal with it at, at that point. Yes. So really, if you can get up front and solve a lot of your issues before you even bring them in, that's tremendous. Right. That's not going to always be the case. Mm -hmm. So, you know, a lot of times you have to understand what it is and how do we manage it or how do we mitigate those once we once once it's going down that, that path. But we can do it at all different types of levels. Within some of the assessments we've done, we've already identified 760 new suppliers that were not in our database before in the past. So we have good information on some of those suppliers and some of the issues and concerns and um, risk that we see with those that allows us to share that with all programs. When we do an assessment on one program and we get all that information, we look across within the database that we have, we look across that information and see if there are impacts to other systems or other areas as well. And we provide that infor those risk and that information to them. Right, and, and, and just to give the folks out there listening um, kind of a visual, so so you guys have like an illumination chart and it, and it looks like even more complex than a spider web and um, because when you talk about the 700 plus suppliers I mean that's not like straight over prime level I mean these people are like sub tier suppliers could be several levels down to where we don't get the you know the insight that we would like to have um, but it, I mean and so that's what makes this so complex. It, it does we've gone down at least four five six levels down because that's really where you're going to find the issues right. it's it's very rarely, I'm not going to say never, because we have found one at a tier one, but that's very rare. Even rare at a tier two. It's usually four, five, and six, mm -hmm. maybe a three, but very rare. So yes, we've, we've got a lot. We're, we're just pulling together more information that allows us to share that information across to the folks who are actually putting stuff on contract and spending the dollars. Like you said, from the PK community, our program um, managers, our loggies within the program offices, like I said, AFRL puts a lot of, out on contract too, so that's what they're looking for is some information on should they be investing funds in some specific companies uh, based on who they're partnered with, what they're doing, who owns them, those types of things. So as we can provide some of that information, it helps us as we move forward um, to do that. But the more information we have, the more information we can share. Right. Um, so that's really what we're trying. We've also sent two cases up to the CFIUS process, which is the Committee on Foreign Investment in the U.S., so two mergers and acquisitions that we saw that were going to cause national security issues 
from an Air Force perspective, we put together all the information and sent that up through the AQ community uh, to the CFIUS and we had POTUS actually stop those mergers and acquisitions and it's a pretty fast process, probably within six to eight weeks of us sending information up, those mergers and acquisitions were stopped. Wow. One of those had major financial issues so it wasn't like, so we solved one issue, mm -hmm. but we needed to continue to monitor that specific contractor right. because if they went out, they still could cause major damage mm -hmm. to, to where we're going, although we were already working mitigation strategies. So right. it was great that we had that information before they actually maybe would have gone out. Luckily, they were finally uh, bought out, but they were bought out by an American company, and so that financial issue also went away for us. So okay. we try to monitor and track through that as we illuminate the network, we provide we do triage, which we look at um, 24 major risk lenses with criteria and weightings across that, and we rank all that information, and especially on those suppliers, you know, red, yellow, green, where we may have issues and concerns. Mm -hmm. We share that information to all programs who may be impacted by that, and then we constantly monitor and track too. So whether that was there's mergers and acquisitions going on that maybe not be bad. We want to make sure our program offices or whoever the customer is at that point in time understands where that is. If we've sent something up to CFIUS, we want to, we track that to make sure then if it, that is uh, an issue that's been taken care of, we want to feed that back down the chain as well. Right. So if we can help get that information flow up and down the chain, that helps um, our program offices an awful lot because they're, they're the ones actually on the front line spending the dollars and putting the money out on contract. And they start, like I said, they start those supply chains whenever they put something on contract. So so it's been, it's been good there. Again, we've identified, like I said, obsolescent parts that are coming in that we've been able to halt from the get-go. Like, why are you, you know, so program offices going back going, well, we're gonna not approve these designs because you've got DMMS issues, you've got obsolescence in here, you've got security services issues that we have. So they can lay out the specifics when they go back to the OEMs and they can actually, you know, do through negotiation, fix right. a lot of that up front just by not approving designs and then the engineers working more closely with them. So it's very critical that the engineering community be involved in everything that we're doing. And like I said, it's been good that we've really been able to provide risk mitigations as well. So even though they, we, we have an issue with a particular contractor or supplier that we have, you know, based on whether we see that they've got financial issues, have they had some espionage issues, what kind of things do they have, I mean, environment, where they sit. AFSC is actually doing a really great model as well that's looking at all the contractors that they deal with, which will, you know, which is pretty much they're on the sustainment side, but right. we can feed that all across right. uh, where they're located at in the U.S. and in the world, and are they prone to hurricanes, tsunamis, mm -hmm. flooding, all that type of things, and if it's a one supplier and we're relying on them, then right. we can start putting those mitigation strategies in place way early, right. and those are types of things that we're trying to start to get our arms around is, we can't, we can't have one supplier in an area that may be a major concern to us, even if it's right. not just from an em environmental perspective, weather perspective, but where do they sit, who owns them? So we wanna start putting some of those mitigation strategies in place, other, other um, rather you might have to have two different contractors right. assisting in some of that capability, but allow us to have a, you know, more able to proactively work those mitigations in right. case something does happen. So. To me, that's all been goodness for us. Again, we're like I said, this has been great for us because we're really changing uh, the model and how we're trying to get ahead of mm -hmm. not just a lagging indicator and looking at the past, we're trying to get in front right. of and make 
put things in place prior to. So you said we're doing the assessments, we're doing a lot of that type of work, but we're also looking at if an issue occurs, you know, trying to put um, policies, processes, procedures in place that if, a, if, if an incident does occur, how quick can we react to it? Right. And then once we can react, the third phase then is in how quickly then can we recover? Mm -hmm. So we're trying to lay all that out um, with, our, with our team to try to get in front of some of the issues that could come our way. And again, we don't know everything that's gonna come our way, but we need to be prepared. So you mentioned that supply chain risk management is everyone's responsibility. Can you talk about the role acquisition professionals play in supply chain risk management and some factors they should look out for in their acquisitions? When I first started doing this several years ago, when you talk supply chain or supply chain risk, anything along those lines, they automatically think sustainment, and they think the sustainment center. But it's been a huge change for them to really start to come to the table. They kick off every supply chain. So right. getting them to understand now, it's great because they see it. They know that they are a major player mm -hmm. and that they can eliminate a lot of the issues up front. Mm -hmm. You know, not that they don't change over time because we keep these weapon systems a long time. That's why you want to be able to Right. share information and track it all the way through. It might not have been an issue up front, but 10, 20 years later could, could become a major issue for us as we move forward. So the acquisition community, in my opinion, has really come a long way to see that they're a major player in this and that they, they really have a lot of power here. You don't have to be able to say you can't use a specific supplier, you can't do this, you can't do that, but knowledge is power. Coming right. to the table, being able to talk proactively and understanding what those issues may be, mm -hmm. they really can get a lot of changes that they need to have accomplished up front. And I think that's been good for them. Policy, the AQ community, a lot of this, um, they need to make sure that we've got the right policies in place and that it's integrated across uh, both the acquisition and sustainment community. And like I said, um, in this particular case, AQ even, ha we have a, an Air Force working group, supply chain risk management working group as well, that AQ actually is the lead for for the Air Force. So they're starting to see why they have to be at the table when they're major players. Mm -hmm. So I think that's been a positive thing for us. They can help with developing our supplier and our supplier relationships. They have a big play in that on how, how that policy and how that guidance and direction is on how we can do that and working across other communities. We're trying to work closely with the AQ and the PK community on criteria for how do, how do we, how can we get this into our acquisition criteria? You know, how, are we, how can we look at this? What kind of information do we need uh, from the contractor that we could actually start to look at this up front? Right. And that's a major part of rather or not, you know, when we're of the criteria that we would, the evaluation criteria for a major contract. Again, we want to strengthen some of the tools that we have as well. So confidentiality and uh, non-disclosure agreements that we may have with specific suppliers, that we can make sure we have a more close relationship and making sure that you know we can share information better and not have to be concerned about, about those types of things. We'd like to you know enhance our DIDs and CDRLs. Not that we want, you know, and again, as, you, as you're aware, being um, in the procurement community, that's a fine line. How much do, what are we expecting the contractor to do versus what we should be doing in the right. Air Force? But if we can get some information on their subs based on the CDRs and DIDs and, and looking at what information they do have, we can perform the assessments, right. make sure they're clear, and then how can we use that information? Again, as we said, 
as part of the contract criteria as we're picking who, who should actually win that award. Right. But it's a very fine line that we walk there. And so that will take us a while to get there. And again, that's why all the players have to be at the table when we're trying to figure out how we, where we want to go to make sure we're not putting a, too much of a burden anywhere and when all that costs money. Mm -hmm. So we want to make sure that we're secure and we have national security, but we also want to make sure that it makes good business sense and it's not overwhelming for any party. Right. So we got to make sure we pull that all together. Scrim audits, we would like to be able to perform, you know, and make sure that's um, part of the contract as well, that uh, we, the Air Force, could come and at least perform some audits on them at some point in time to look and make sure they have plans in place. I mean, some of this, rather it's a, you know, it doesn't have to be an espionage issue or anything like that. Right, it could right. be, yes, I, I, sit, I know I sit in the panhandle of Florida and I get, I'm, I'm very prone to hurricanes and I get this, so what's my strategy if my plant is hit right. to ensure that I don't have too much downtime and I can still get parts or right. whatever the capability is that I'm delivering to the United States Air Force. So we're looking for them to come to the table and have um, some kind of plan in place as well. And we want to be able to at least go and be able to look and ensure they do have come some strategies in place right. to ensure that they're not going to have a major impact on us. And that's something we don't do well today. Right. Um, and, and they may have those because I'm sure they don't want to have any of those issues right, as well. Right. It's Helps not them mitigate their risk as well right. and think through it. And, yeah. Right. I mean, they're a business, so they're there to make money. So they don't want to be down either. Yeah. So we believe that they prob many companies probably have some of this in place. We just would like to be able to you know, not that we need to see every detail or all right. their, but just to make sure they have things that uh, can help mitigate those risks for, for us as the customer. Right. We'd like to at some point maybe get a trusted BARD list as well. Mm -hmm. And I know the AQ community um, and the PK community and JA community have been having some discussions about this with OSI. Mm -hmm. uh, we've, we're, we're parts of those discussions, but we will not be the driver mm -hmm. of that by any means. But they're looking to see, you know, we, it's not something we like to do in the government because we are an open competition right. uh, type of organization so that every, it's fair and uh, across the board. But there may be, we're getting to a time where we may have to have some of that in place. And, and, and that would be, there would be some pretty stringent criteria and processes right. in place, I'm sure, that, to make that occur. Again, we just want to make sure that the AQ community is smart on, on the different risk. They're very good at looking at technical risk right. and risk to that, but they, this is pretty new to them at looking at risk across the supply chain. So again, just making sure that we, we've got it nailed down, we've got the strategy in place, we've got training, we've got things so that it helps them to be able to look at that broader capability. And that's really where we're trying to make sure from the acquisition community there in place. And again been just thoroughly impressed with how open the acquisition community has been over the last four to five years that they really have a major play in this, mm -hmm. which was something before that they didn't really see. So, right. so good to see that. And again, with Staff AQ actually being the lead for the Air Force for this, that makes a huge difference right. that they, they are seeing that they are a major, a major player in this, right. which helps when you get to the acquisition communities here within um, Wright-Patterson. So if for the acquisition teams out there, if they, um, in looking at like some specs or designs and they have some questions on, okay, you know, I, I might need some extra help on this and, and their requirement. So what would you suggest that they do um, to either reach out to your team or to get extra help with that? They can obviously always reach out to, to us at headquarters AFMC A4R. But like I said, each center 
has, a, as we're laying out our strategy, what we have is kind of a central group here at the command level. And we have small, and they're small. We're, we're a very small team because, right. again, resources are not mm -hmm. large and you're not going to get additional resources for this. Right. But there are uh, small teams at each one of the centers. So if it was a program office, um, LCMC has a small team within the LG, their LG community there, their LZS. Uh, are the lead for um, LCMC in this particular area, and they can help help them get any information that they need and get um, help work the process, help right. them work the process if they wanted some additional help. Within AFSC, it's um, within the 448 supply chain wing, within the Nuke Weapon Center, it's within their LG. So they can go through their the LG chain and they can you know, Correct. help them with that. Correct. So we've that. tried to make sure, because there's goodness of pockets of goodness going, we're just integrating it and making sure we can sh we're sharing the information across those areas that we were working, uh, not trying to stop what they're doing, but leverage off of each one of right. them. So we can actually do be, do better at helping all of our centers, the right. folks who are doing this work. Because even IMSC, I mean, they let a lot of contracts as well for facilities and infrastructure, which is an area that our adversaries are focusing on. So we talk about weapon systems, we talk about the sustainment piece, but getting IMSC fully engaged now too, they've come to the table because they really are in charge of all of our infrastructure. And we need to make sure that our infrastructure is secure and, right. and capable as well. So we've got pockets going on now across all of our centers. Like I said, AFRL coming to the table was a huge one for us. Mm -hmm. um, 32 years, I never thought in a million years that I would have the doctor, you know, we have all these just amazingly smart people in our research laboratories. We're so fortunate to have that capability in the Air Force. And they now are talking supply chain risk management. Right that they see that they too are a major player and that in their mind now they're saying, well, yeah, it's the acquisition world who kicks it off from maybe bring it into Air Force, but we really are mm -hmm. the upfront folks kicking it off. I mean, what a, I never thought in a million years I would hear that. So you start to really see folks come to the table and see how they play right. across the supply chain. So I've seen nothing but positive out of this and um, it's been enjoyable to work. Um, again, our team is tremendous across all of the functional areas here and our centers. Um, we have some of the smartest, most knowledgeable folks I've ever met and they really are passionate and they really want to do goodness for the United States Air Force. Well, Trixie, I appreciate you being on the podcast today and talking about this very important topic, so thank you. Oh, thank you very much for having us. If you have suggestions for topics or people to interview or feedback on the podcast, you can submit those at thecontractingexperience at gmail.com. I want to thank you all for listening to the Contracting Experience podcast. Until next time, keep connecting to the world around you.